David Graham is a speaker, author, businessman, former pastor, and founding director of Youth with a Mission Montana. He is also the author of the song, In Moments Like These. This song appropriately describes this podcast, which is a short, biblically-based, and encouraging devotional influenced by David's lifetime of personal moments. These moments are shared with a heart to encourage and inspire you to see Him, our Heavenly Father, at work in your own moments. I know this is David's heart in sharing because he has spent my lifetime speaking hope and encouragement into my own heart. If you would, take a few minutes and listen today. I am really proud of the things that he has done throughout his life, but what I am most proud of and grateful for is for the kind of dad, daddy, he has been to me. Way back in episode three, entitled A Victim of Fear, I shared the story of a time nearly 40 years ago when as a 34-year-old husband, father, and pastor, I experienced a sudden emotional collapse. It was a time when I was thrown headlong into a fear-filled existence of confusion and introspection. Today I will be sharing about some of the things that had shaped my life as a child and as an adolescent, and then, over the next two episodes, I'll be sharing about the amazing moments that led me into a startling personal revelation, those special moments that led me out of a life of self-doubt and panic attacks into a new life of significance, well-being, and purpose. Before I tell the story about the things that shaped me as a boy, I feel it's important to say this. In thinking or talking about one's parents, it's very important to keep things in the right perspective. In the letter to the Ephesians, right after Paul talks about properly relating to parents and other earthly authorities, he reminds us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's Ephesians 6.12. In other words, There's a more powerful activity going on out there than just human flesh and blood activity. And this thing can play a huge role in our life development. Paul is essentially saying it's the forces of evil in the heavenly realms that are the real source of our problems. These dark powers come against the children, pulling the puppet strings and passing down destructive messages from one generation to the next. It should be at these powers we focus our attack, not at earthly caregivers, not at our parents. Now to my story. I really loved my mom and dad, and they really loved me. But I saw firsthand how harmful messages invaded their lives and how those messages affected their parenting. My mom must have been the sweetest little girl growing up because she was such a dear, sweet mother. But she was shamed by a very harsh father, my grandfather. As a young boy growing up, I witnessed his habit of belittling or lashing out at his fearful little wife, my grandma, and at his three children, mostly my mom. One particular time, when I was 18 years old, I drove my mom one summer day to visit grandpa who was on his deathbed in a Los Angeles hospital. 
I remember it as if it were yesterday, how coldly he acted. Only minutes after we arrived, he ripped into my mom with everything he had left, calling her every demeaning thing he could think of. His voice continued to rise until my mom finally broke and began sobbing. Her pain was horrible to watch. With my mouth open in shock, I put my arms around my mom as she slumped both hands covering her face into a low posture of pain and shame. I stared at the angry old man on the bed, whom, oddly enough, I had loved as well as feared. I couldn't stand it any longer. With a trembling voice, I somehow managed to say, My mom is the most wonderful woman in the world. Don't you ever talk to her that way again. Tearful now and shaking even more, I lifted her cowering frame more upright, turned her away from his bedside, and helped walk my trembling mother, reduced to a little girl, out of the hospital. The ride home was sorrowful. We never saw my grandpa alive again. My mom had always been a completely dedicated Christian. She was truly a godly woman her whole life long. But as a boy, I saw the scars of shame delivered by her father and the scars of fear imprinted by her mother. I believe that some of both were passed down to me. My dad, who battled through the Great Depression and a major war, was, as I said before, a high achiever. He told me more than once that he had read over a thousand books before his 21st birthday. By the time I was 21, I had read two, plus or minus one. Being right-brained and somewhat ADD kept me on an opposite page from Dad. I liked sports and music. He liked math and science. He wanted me to become a doctor, an astronomer, or a naval officer. Me? Other than occasionally fantasizing about being a movie actor, I was at a complete loss when considering the future, and I was far from an overachiever. When growing up, our interaction often amounted to Dad saying things like, Did you do your yard work? Or, What's this with your report card? He often didn't like my answers. I don't remember ever getting affection from my dad as a boy. Thankfully, that would come later in my life. But back then, every night when he got home from work, my mom would faithfully greet him at the front door with a big hug and kiss. As I recall, he would then put his arms around each of my three younger sisters, but never me. I sort of chalked it up to the don't hug the son rule, the man thing. I never knew my dad's father as he died when I was a toddler, but I would bet a thousand hugs. This rule was something that was handed down by grandpa. Feeling like I most always disappointed my dad created a lot of self-doubt about myself and my future. Couple that with the fear modeled by my otherwise good and loving mother, and there you have it, me. I was a young person, feeling like a failure, living with unreasonable worry and on a track toward panic. As I've said, children can store up harmful messages. Some are messages of rejection, 
Some forms of rejection are easy to identify, but others, though damaging, are not so clear. They've become somewhat of a blur in the maze of memories. Permit me to get a little teachy for a minute. I hope it will provide some insight. Charles Solomon, author of the book, The Ins and Outs of Rejection, defines two kinds of rejection that can be imposed on children by their primary caregivers. The first he calls overt rejection, that which is harsh and obvious. A couple examples of overt rejection are physical abandonment, whether intentional or as a result of divorce, physical abuse, sexual abuse, or mental abuse. The second kind of rejection Solomon refers to as covert rejection. This kind of rejection is far more common, yet far less conspicuous as a culprit. The following are just a few of Solomon's examples of covert rejection. Maybe one or more of these will stand out to you. Some did to me. Covert rejection can be experienced when a caregiver is inconsistent in behavior or emotion, or shows favoritism to a brother or sister, or has unfair expectations, or has no expectations at all, or doesn't show enough attention. Maybe he or she doesn't give enough affection, or overprotects, or is rule-oriented. Maybe they don't provide enough rules. They could be inconsistent with discipline, or discipline improperly, or never discipline. Maybe they give too much freedom, or maybe not enough, and so on and so forth. I'm sure you could add to the list. To paraphrase Solomon, the consequences of covert rejection can sometimes be just as bad as those of overt rejection, and all the result of false messages. Children who have been the recipients of rejection, whether overt or covert, can easily end up feeling alone, insignificant, and insecure an unhealthy self. These two forms of rejection are the kinds of things that shape us. To one degree or another, these are the kinds of things that help shape everyone. Why? It's simple, really, because nobody, nobody who has ever lived on this planet has had an absolutely perfect parent or caregiver. And why did I bring all this up? Dear friend, I promise you, it wasn't to depress you or get you stirred up about your past or your parents. Just the opposite. I believe our Father has two things in mind for today. The first is this. Let us always remember that our caregivers were recipients of harmful messages long before we were. And, in many cases, their pain was even greater than ours. It's non-productive and self-destructive to hold judgments against them or anyone. Plus, Jesus commanded us not to judge. Instead of judgment, we need to remember we are God's children now. Because we're his sons and daughters, we should always think with grace, profit from what we've learned, and keep strengthening our own caregiving skills. Second, because you are one of God's children, I believe God wants you to recognize the false messages of the past so that you can renounce them for good here in the present. 
Many times I've encouraged brothers and sisters to write a message of renouncement and then bury it. On many occasions over the years, they've actually physically buried them in the ground. But today, I would encourage you to imagine. Imagine writing your own message, burying it in the ground, and then marking the spot with a wooden stake, and then drive the stake so deep that hell gets the point. I urge you to take charge over your past, right now, here in the present. Dear Father, you are the ultimate and perfect parent. You never send false messages because you are holy. You always do the right thing for us because you are righteous. Father, please help this one to see just how trustworthy you are and show this one your loving and reshaping power from glory to glory. Let it be. You've been listening to In Moments Like These with David Graham. If you'd like to contact David or find out more information about In Moments Like These, please visit InMomentsLikeThese.com.